to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Jacqueline Flessner, founder of the Etiquette Network and certified etiquette trainer. Jacqueline, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Carol. It's my honor. I'm so glad that you asked me to participate with you today. Yes, and I'm really interested in talking all about uh, etiquette in uh, its different contexts, because as we're relaunching careers and moving into a professional environment again, I think, A, we need reminders, and B, we need advice and tips um, on proper etiquette in today's workforce. So let me just start before we get into some of these specific tips about if you can talk about your background and how you even got to this point of uh, becoming a certified etiquette trainer and founding the etiquette network. Sure, absolutely. So I think you would probably agree most little girls aren't sitting around thinking that someday they're going to teach etiquette. That's not something that we generally find very common to set out to do. And that certainly was not the case for me either. I actually began in the theater as a performer when I was young, about seven years old, and really had a passion for that. So throughout my youth years, my high school years, I was always involved in drama and decided to pursue that through college as well. So I attended Pepperdine University out in Malibu, California. Oh, yeah. I'm from Southern California. I know exactly where Pepperdine is. It's one of the most beautiful campuses in America. Yes, that's what everyone says. It was wonderful. I had the privilege of living in the Malibu, greater Malibu area, Brentwood, Santa Monica for about nine years through my course of my college career and beyond. And I was pursuing uh, a career in film, if you will, out sort of running the the Hollywood race that that many people do when they're young and and have those great dreams of of maybe being a movie star or in production of some sort. I made wonderful contacts through that. And as life would have it, I then fell in love and got married. And my journey took me away from California and into back to Oklahoma, which is where I was born and raised. And so at that time, because my, my life looked a little bit differently, I knew it was important for me to be a mom to the two little ones that I had. And I decided that it wasn't ideal for me to go back into the workforce from a nine to five standpoint, or even really the rigors of, of trying to pursue a career in theater that takes you away from home a lot. And so I wanted to discover something that I could work from home and still be a stay-at-home mom, which was was very important to me at that time. And so what came my way was an opportunity within a network marketing organization. And I was with the company for 10 years. I experienced great success with that company. I'm a natural people person. I love people. I love talking to people about their stories and what opportunities might be a good fit for them. And so I found great success in network marketing. I um, recruited a a large personal team and really found my joy in inspiring this volunteer workforce, if you will, to treat their business like a business and to achieve the income goals that they were hoping to achieve. And so that was something that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Well, in 2011, 
the leaders of that company received a call midsummer, and we were told that three days later, our company would be no longer. And so as many people have suffered through job loss, you know, companies going out of business, what have you. It was a serious shock to our system, as, as you can imagine, to those of us who really had poured our all into that wonderful company. And uh, I cried and mourned and was a victim and blaming people and very sad for about a month. And then I decided to get my act together. And what popped into my brain was that I wanted to start my own thing. And I wanted to take some of the challenges that I had seen along the way in network marketing and create an organization that no one could really rip the rug out from underneath me again without me, you know, having something to say about it or some participation in it, because that didn't feel good, having something taken away from us when we had no control. And so in 2011, the Etiquette Network was launched, and I had become certified in business etiquette through, um, you know, wanting to train those group of volunteers or those network marketers that I had shared with you earlier. And I just found that there was a gap in in the level of professionalism that was being displayed primarily in the network marketing industry, but really just in, in corporate America as well. I felt like we were lacking follow through. We were getting, you know, lackadaisical on our, how polished we were. We as a society weren't returning phone calls as readily. There were just so many areas that I could identify where people could be having such greater success if they would just polish themselves as professionals a bit further. And so I decided to dedicate a company to helping people improve those level of manners, to encourage kindness, and to increase civility in the workplace and in our communities. And so um, can you explain a little bit more about how it works? Are there courses and are they in person? Are they online? Are they with groups? Are they individuals? What like essentially what is the etiquette network and what happens if you're part of it? So that's a, a great question. Thank you for asking that. So we are a an organization that helps whether it be individuals, as you mentioned, groups, small to mid-sized firms, we have some major large organizations that we partner with, really any individual or organization, company that is looking to have educational programs provided to help their team members elevate professionalism and deepen personal connections through inspiring their clients to be less self-centered and more others-focused, whether it be their employees, their clients, whomever they're wanting to give the training to. We we pretty much do presentations for individuals one to 1,000. Wow. Okay. So what I'd love to do right now is to dive in on some specific topics. And I'm actually drawing here from a list of actual modules that you offer as part of your programming. And I just wanted to know if we could talk about a few of these in more depth. Um, So for example, the, the first one that jumps out at me is the art of business dining. And so like when you're teaching this, are people sitting at a table with like, with like a place setting and practicing eating or like, what do you tell them? 
yes, ideally we like to host those either at a restaurant or a country club somewhere where they're already having a meal. So companies may be offering a leadership training or it's their annual sales conference and they're already feeding their people three meals a day. So they'll hire us to come in. I'm certified in dining etiquette as well. So I will come in while the team is there enjoying their lunch or their breakfast. And we, from a fun educational interactive standpoint, we impart tips about how to perfect the art of business dining. Some of the common questions there, not just which fork to use, because we all think that's simple. And although some people may need help with that, it really goes a little bit deeper. We talk about in business dining, who is responsible for paying the check? You know, that's a common question that that we may have. It may not always be the person who invited, which is, I think, a, a, a standard that everyone likes to go back to. They say, well, the person paying the check is who invited. Not necessarily the person paying the check should actually be who stands to benefit most out of that relationship. So there are some little nuances there that we impart things as simple and as basic as if someone asks for the salt, make sure you're passing the salt and the pepper. Uh, When you get up to leave the table, where does your napkin go? Uh, maybe we reiterate that if you're waiting for a group, do not go ahead and sit at the table, wait for your entire group to arrive there in the lobby or at the front of the restaurant. So we just ha- really have a little fun with imparting some, some basic nuances, some fundamental tips that can help people shine when they are dining for business. Do you recommend what kinds of foods people should order and not order that are easier to eat while you're having a conversation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So it's never a good idea to, if you're ordering a pasta, try to avoid the spaghetti noodles, maybe choose the penne instead. Uh, With all of the diversity, right, in our cross-culture business world now, which is incredible. I've been to so many wonderful multicultural business dinners, but some of those can be very difficult to navigate. For example, if ramen is a big trend now, right, It's, it's hard to order ramen because it's okay to pick up the bowl in Japan and and drink the broth. But in the United States, we're not accustomed to picking up a bowl and drinking it. So here we are a mess with these noodles and broth flying everywhere. So ideally, you want to avoid those dishes if you do have some control. You should also always think about who's paying the bill, as I mentioned before. And if someone else is treating you, then you're not going to want to take advantage of the situation and order the most expensive thing on the menu. Uh, instead, you should take the lead from the host or, or let someone else order first to get an idea of what you should be ordering. And then, of course, the alcohol piece comes into play as well. So it's really great information, very fun, which a lot of people say they had no idea how much they didn't know after they leave one of our Art of Business Dining classes. Actually, uh, this is a random question that just popped into my head, but something I've always wondered. So it has to do with tipping, but tipping when there's an element of self-service, like it's kind of a, you know, cafeteria kind of model where you're getting your own food and sitting down and then the person's bringing the drinks. Do you have any rules around that? 
Sure. So I'm sure there are, you know, maybe hard and fast rules, although those can be debated all day long. Generally, I would just say, again, thinking about that premise of being, trying to extend the kindness, trying to think less about yourself and more about others. If anyone serves you in any capacity, there should be some gratuity extended. So if it's, I'm I'm envisioning maybe you're going through a line, like you said, you're ordering your food and then you sit down, but someone is refilling your water, they're cleaning up after you, they're asking if you could get anything. I would say a good general rule of thumb there is, you know, if it's a a lower end restaurant where it's considered fast food, I don't know if we can mention any specific brands, but um, let's just say we go to um, any place where maybe you're building your own burrito, for example, and no one is ever coming to your table, but they have a tip jar there. it's okay to put maybe a dollar as a gesture in that tip jar. What becomes different is then if someone is serving you at your table, I would say to go more along the five to 10%. It's the same thing if you're picking up to go food. What most people don't realize, and I know this because my mother has been in the restaurant business as a server. It's been her career for 40 years. She still does it today. And she has to take time away from her tables to pack up to go orders. So if someone Someone orders $100 worth of food to go and they come in and pick it up and they tip her nothing, what they're not understanding is that they have missed the point that she has taken time away from her customers in-house to pack up their food. So there always should be some sort of a gesture there between 5 and 10% is what I would recommend. Got it. Thank you. All right. Let's move on to another topic, appropriate verbiage, greetings, and titles of respect. So is this like when to say Mr. or Ms. and when to go right into the first name or or is it something other than that? Correct. It, it, it gaps a little bit longer than that, but, but that is the idea. Titles of respect are really a lost art in our society. We immediately take the uh, right to call someone by their first name. And really, especially in business, it should not be that way. We should always err on the side of using a title of respect. So when we first meet someone, even in email, it's most appropriate to address them by their last name until they then say, please call me Jacqueline or please you know, call me Steve. I use the example of uh, at a friend of mine's company, there was a young hotshot very great guy out of college, was going to set the world on fire as so many of us know that we're going to do when we're 22, 23 years old. And he came into the organization, a large organization, and the CEO happened to pop into his department within about his first month. And he was excited about the situation and walked up to the CEO and addressed him by his first name. And it was very taken aback because the CEO actually corrected him and said, I'm Mr. Smith. So in turn, if you call someone by their last name, usually they'll open that door and say, please, no, call me John or call me Susan. But we should always err on the side of a title of respect. And we issue those according to the three A's. The first being age, 
If someone is a generation or more older than us, it's great to attach the Mr. or the Mrs. to that out of deference for respecting that they are our elder. The second would be authority. So if it's someone in an authority position, such as a police officer, maybe a judge, um, our parents, we would want to, again, attach a title of respect there. And even the word mom can be a title of respect. We wouldn't call our mother by her first name because it takes away a little bit of that deference to her role in our life. And the same holds true as if an officer walks up to our car, if we've been pulled over and we see that his badge has his first name and his last name on it, we would be very cautioned to say, how you doing today, John, right? We would call him Officer Smith. And so that would be authority. The third A would be achievement. And that's if someone has worked hard to achieve a position in their life, such as doctor or judge or attorney, um, those positions that have a title of respect that you would attach to it. Again, it just shows that you are respecting another person and and thinking about making them feel respected respected and special in the situation. So in the special case of the relauncher, so for example, when I went back to work, and this was way back in 2001, but it was after an 11-year career break, I was 42 years old and I was working for a 37-year-old. So it's quite typical for relaunchers to be working for people who are younger than they are. How do you recommend the What's the rule of thumb there in terms of uh, addressing uh, people by their first names and also thinking about different types of work environments? I'm thinking maybe like the technology sector in Silicon Valley as opposed to maybe something that's more formal like on Wall Street. Sure. And and it could vary anywhere. You do have to feel out the culture of, of where you are and where you're working. I would say to your first question, if you have a superior that is younger, you and than you in age, they're still in a position of authority over you by being your boss. So I would just navigate that carefully. If they walk in and they introduce themselves as, hi, Carol, my name's Liz. It's great to have you on board. And she introduced herself by her first name. Then you certainly can move forward with calling her by her first name. So I think you just have to navigate that appropriately. But if you walked into an interview and regardless that she was younger than you, if she is still in the position of hiring you, I would encourage you to address her by her last name with a title of respect. As far as the different cultures within Silicon Valley or Wall Street, as you use those in examples, this is an example of where my my perspective may not always be the most popular one in the room, but I do still believe that we should think about the traditional protocol and how that can be applied regardless of where we are. I know Silicon Valley loves to make their own rules and be very modern and think that, you know, the old ways don't apply to them. I'm not sure that that is helping us to further this idea of less narcissism and more others thinking. I still think that it never hurts to err on the side of professionalism and of showing ultimate respect because you can always back down from that, but it's very hard to climb back up to that pinnacle once you've left it. Got it. Thank you. Let me just remind our listeners who might just be tuning in that you are listening to 321 I Relaunch, and this is your host, Carol Fishman-Cohen. 
I'm speaking with Jacqueline Flessner, who is the founder of the Etiquette Network and a certified etiquette trainer. We are talking about different topics uh, as in the Etiquette Network's programs and getting Jacqueline's uh, advice on uh, etiquette, the, the way we should behave in certain situations. So one of those is, um, and this is the title of your, of your particular module, Politely Resolving Conflict. So Jacqueline, can you talk about um, the approach you take when you are advising people on this? Sure. And this is a this is a challenging one. If we think back, how do we learn to resolve conflict? Can you think of how you've best learned to resolve conflict in your life, Carol? Um, I I think it's really important to listen first and understand completely what the other person is um, thinking about and is concerned about, and then trying to figure out a way that you can grant them as much as what they are interested in and still uh, achieve what you're interested in too. So it's kind of a negotiation. Wonderful. So where, let me ask you what my question is leading toward. Where did you learn that approach? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe a combination. Home? Do you think that was modeled in your home or do you think over the course of education and being in business that you've sort of learned that that's the best approach? Yeah, I, I don't think I could pinpoint any particular um, source. And it, you know, I, I, it, I, I have been around for decades now. So I think it is a combination of a whole bunch of different experiences over time. And also, I should say that I'm in my late 50s. And being the way I think about it now is probably a lot different and a lot um, more nuanced than I might have when I was, let's say, you know, 25. Sure, absolutely. Well, what we find is that most people are not great at resolving conflict because it hasn't been modeled for them or taught for them anywhere. You know, this isn't really something that we're taking a class on in junior high, high school, or even college, but there are very specific steps that one can learn the skills that they can acquire to resolving conflict. And we don't have to wait until we're in our 40s or 50s to do that. We just have been through the school of hard knocks and learned, well, it may be better, right, to listen first. But how wonderful if we could learn that when we were 15, 17, 20. And the problem that we're finding today is that most people are not ever given an opportunity to learn how to politely resolve conflict. So they go out into the world without this training, and then it starts to rear its ugly head. And usually what we see within conflict is, yes, that it is someone digging in their heels and wanting their way in a situation. Even in my marriage, for example, usually if I'm sideways with my husband, it's because I wanted him to do something my way and not the way that he did it. So again, I'm self-seeking there. I'm not putting him ahead of me. I'm thinking of my own needs first. And there's where the continued problem arises with rude behavior, with with uh, improper manners, with conflict that arises, is that usually it's someone digging in their heels. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that the very first step that you should do is certainly take a beat and hear the other person's perspective. We offer 10 steps in our breakout of 
of, of uh, politely resolving conflicts so that people can actually learn those 10 steps. And they do begin with listening. They also include um, repeating back what you've heard and that if the situation is emotional, if someone starts crying or yelling, that it's best to just separate yourselves from that situation and come back, come back together when the emotions have subsided. So there are 10 specific steps that we train and we certainly don't have time to go over those now, but as you alluded to, they begin with just listening and trying to find common ground. And I would think we would all agree that we need that in our world today, just the finding of common ground. Instead of discussing what we don't agree on and battling about the differences that we have religiously, politically, with regard to a project, whatever it may be, instead, let's focus on places that we can agree and that we can come to some type of collaboration. Um, Jacqueline, do you do role playing in this particular module um, or like actually demonstrating in front of the group what the conversation might look like? Yes. So we definitely throw out a couple of scenarios and we may have volunteers from the audience go back and forth or we break up sometimes into smaller groups and let them work through conflict situations, common conflict that may arise. We definitely can do that if the time allows. If it's just a simple breakout where we only have 45 minutes for a lunch and learn, usually there's not a lot of time for those role plays. But when the training or the workshop is further extended, we love to get the people involved. And, and allow them to role play as much as possible. Got it. Um, so let me just throw one more at you because um, it's just jumping out at me here. Cyber civility and effective social networking. So can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit uh, about that? Cyber civility. Are there specific rules about how you're supposed to act when you're when you're interacting with people online? Again, I think that the basic guideline, and I'm not one that our philosophy in general is not about knowing all of the rules. Again, it's about being less self-centered, more others-focused, and making people feel comfortable when you're when they're around you. The same holds true for our interactions on social media. If we think we're safe behind a computer screen and just can blurt out anything we want, we're really missing the point of cyber civility. We we should treat every comment, every post that we make in a social media setting as if the person was standing in front of us. And, and would we say something to them as harsh as we would type to them? So I think people, again, all need to just take a beat and consider is the information or the vitriol that I'm spewing on social media the same that I would do if someone were in the same, you know, in the room with me and we were facing to face. I think we find likely that it's not. So we encourage everyone from a cyber civility standpoint to think before you text, think before you tweet. There's no reason to put anything out there in anger, in frustration, or combativeness because it really just goes nowhere. And quite frankly, it's a it's a waste of time. I can think of arguments that maybe I've even had in my past on social media, and it sort of derails me from my entire family time that evening because I can't quite get it out of my head. And usually it was self-inflicted because I'm the one that, you know, wanted to carry on the argument on a, uh, over a keyboard, which does me no good. So I think we've just gotten very carried away with social media. We're really seeing it also 
harm people in their own personal brand. You know, when we talk about protecting a brand, it's not just I relaunch's brand or Coca-Cola's brand that you're protecting. You have a personal brand to protect. And every day when you interact on social media, that either enhances your brand or damages it. So if you can find a way to be civil and not even engage in some of those arguments that get going online to any great extent, it is going to impact your brand. And I would encourage relaunchers as well to know that um, various studies have different numbers, but many studies show that about 75% of employers now are looking at your social media presence and what you may think is private likely and often is not. And so you really want to be aware of what your social media history and current presence looks like. And also uh, being aware that 90% of universities, college and universities are looking at social media platforms of incoming students. So it's very, very important not only to protect your company's brand, but to Uh, protect your own personal brand because employers do have the right to not hire you or to fire you based on what you post and what what you believe is your own personal uh, social media page. It can impact your professional life as well. Okay. Um, Well, we are running out of time. So I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. One of them is Um, Can you demonstrate a section of one of your workshops? So um, we've talked about all these topics and the advice has been great, but um, maybe just give us more of a feel for, for what happens. Sure, absolutely. So as I've mentioned before, my, my philosophy is not so much as having to follow an exhaustive list of rules or memorize an endless book of etiquette, because quite frankly, none of us have the capability of doing that. And people stump me all of the time with etiquette. I may get it wrong. But again, if I can lead with thinking about good manners and pausing to ask myself, am I making people feel comfortable when they're around me, then I ideally have the answer at my fingertips to all pressing etiquette questions. In, turn, in, in reverse, if I have the thought or the mindset of I'm strictly out for numero uno, I don't care what anyone else thinks, if I don't look out for me, no one else will, really that is what we believe leads to rude behavior overall. So I, I like to begin every one of our breakouts by asking the audience two simple questions. The first is, raise your hand if you would agree that our world today is ruder, harsher, in poor etiquette more so than 20, 30, 40 years ago. And As you can envision, Carol, almost everyone in the room will raise their hand. They think we're going in the wrong direction with regard to being a rude society. The follow-up question that I then ask is, all right, who in here considers themselves a rude person? And maybe one or two kind of laughingly will raise their hand, but the great majority do not consider themselves rude people, you know, themselves a, a rude person. And so then I have to follow up by saying, well, if the whole society is getting ruder, but it's none of us, who's, whose problem is it? Who's the cause? And that kind of us to discussing that dialogue of really it's all of us and we all need to do a better job about thinking about extending kindness and civility to people around us. Got it. Thank you. Um, Now, as we're winding up here, 
I know that you also run another organization called the Professional Moms Network. Can you briefly tell us what that is? Sure, absolutely. So Professional Moms is a connection organization that we created for all women. It's open to all women who are seeking to promote business endeavors while obtaining encouragement um, to find a way to create that healthy balance between family and career if that's possible. So it's a group uh, that meets monthly. We have 16 chapters nationwide currently, and each one of those chapters is basically a ladies' lunch once a month where the women will come together and they will support one another in both professional and in personal circumstances. And unlike traditional networking groups, there's no annual membership fee or restrictive attended requirements. People just show up when they want to. They register for an event, they come and they get support for learning how to be better connectors and more effective at uh, supporting women in their community. When we work together, we find that you know, we're much more successful if we can help other people in their business. It usually comes back tenfold. Thank you. And I just want to remind our listeners that the etiquette conversation that we're having is advice that's equally effective for men and women um, and relaunchers who are you know, taking career breaks for, for all different reasons. Um, Jacqueline, I want to close by asking you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something we've already talked about today? So I think my best piece of advice would be to get connected. If you are hoping to find a new position, you're wanting to get back into the workforce, the very best thing that you can do is tap into a network, expand that network, and allow others to help you in finding the perfect fit for you. I think that would be first would be to to, to get connected. Second would be to may, maybe not assume that your journey is going to look exactly like you think it will. I think everyone should be open to learning new tricks. So just because you think you're going to be an accountant, there may be a way to use that accounting experience in a unique space that you could create and call your own. And then finally, I would encourage relaunchers to find a way to shine. And I think the shining comes through in the follow-up, in looking like a professional, making the effort to show that you're respectful in that regard, to be kind, and to, of course, always follow up with written, handwritten thank you notes anytime you can. Wonderful. Thank you. A lot of great advice there. And Jacqueline, we want to uh, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us how people can find out more about your work, please? Sure. And absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again so much for having me. If people would like to learn more about the Etiquette Network, they can visit our website, which is theetiquettenetwork.com. That's the word the, the word etiquette, the word network.com. And they also can find us on Facebook at that same tagline, the Etiquette Network. We would love to connect with anyone out there that would like some additional support in understanding how they are perceived, perceived by others and to help them find the perfect fit for their upcoming career. So again, thank you so much for the opportunity to share. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for listening to 321 Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. 
I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.